Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Come on, say it like you mean it. Good morning. Say it like you had at least one cup of coffee and you, <laughs> and you love the Lord this morning. Good morning. I'm so glad that you could make it. Welcome to everybody watching in online. Your High Ridge family loves you. So High Ridge family, would you applaud those that are tuning in via the miracle of the internet? Welcome, 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 welcome. We're so glad that you could tune in today. Grab your Bibles if you would. We're gonna spend some time in the book of 2 Timothy. If you're new to the Bible, open it up to the middle, take a hard right. You're gonna be there in just a few pages. Also, we're gonna spend some time kind of skipping around Proverbs. There won't be any particular chapter there, uh, just a bunch of scriptures we're gonna, we're gonna find as we, uh, as we continue on and hopefully wrap up our series called Unsubscribe. We're gonna finish up our series talking about all the things that kind of have gripped our world here lately and how our Bible tells us that we are called to be something different than what we're seeing in the world. So how do we unsubscribe from these things? What biblical choices can we make as we turn our attention to God's word that, that help us to kind of unsubscribe from what we're seeing in the life and the times and in our world and the state of everything that we see today. Today I wanna talk about unsubscribing from the spirit of contention. Contention. And uh, if you graduated from Gladewater, that means fighting. <laughs> I'm just, I'm picking on Gladewater. I don't know why. Uh, but this really has become something that I never thought would affect the church like it does, um, especially over the past 18 months. We have seen the spirit of contention grip not just our world, but the church. Sons and daughters of the Most High God behaving like everybody else with their words and with their ability to cut people down to size. It has affected our families, our marriages, our businesses, our relationships with brothers and sisters. The spirit of contention has become a big bad part of the church. Thankfully, the Bible has a lot of things to say about that spirit of contention. The book of Proverbs mentions it over and over and over, and it's obvious coming from a man named Solomon who had a thousand wives of why he uses that spirit of contention against the female gender, but he does over and over. Like when you got a thousand wives, like I'm sure there's a little bit of contention there in your home. I'm just saying, I could probably be able to figure out what that issue is, but there it is. The spirit of contention. Our world has been gripped with that contentious spirit. Everything's a fight. It's an argument. It's an opinion. Everything has to be expressed. Everything is your truth and your truth makes somebody else look like a liar your truth, your argument, your rights, your opinion, everything has to be backed up with an argument with three points to make somebody else feel stupid. Everything is full of clickbait of watch this person step out and say something wrong and get immediately smacked in the face with this and watch this clap back, watch this person get destroyed. And we click on it because we wanna see it and we subscribe to this fact that this is the state of our world now. The greatest thing to do is to put somebody back in their place or is it? Thankfully, the word of God has a lot to say about what's worth fighting for and what is not worth fighting for. It's amazing that this American version of Christianity has gripped the church and pushed us into a place that it's all about our rights and our feelings and what you've done to me and you better make this right. We've all become Karens. How did that happen? No offense to people actually named Karen. This is a hard time for you, especially if you're kind and gentle. Like, I'm sorry, I didn't coin the phrase, but it is what it is. Here we are. And yet here in this place, we, we find ourselves arguing about the most stupid of things. Uh, if, if you've been around children's sports for more than five minutes, you will watch people argue about things that just don't matter. Like, your kid is five. He's not going pro. It's not happening. 
I don't know if you know this, but your chances of your child becoming a professional athlete are less than 0.02%. Because only 2% of college athletes, like D1 college athletes, ever make it to anywhere in the pros where they get a paycheck for their skills. Uh, if your child is more than about 13 years old and is not over six foot six, 300 pounds, the chances are no, it's not gonna happen. Now, if you've got one of those monsters, push them, baby, and teach them to tithe, because we need you. <laughs> your chances are better of getting attacked by a bear than for your child to become a professional. But yet you'll see this every Saturday morning when youth sports take off. How dare you not play my child? He's the greatest player on our team. No, he's not, or he'd be playing. Like, he's not. <laughs> And it's something that we have to come to grips with because that's a contentious spirit, that mama bear that comes out in all of us. Like, hey, it's just, let them have a good time. Let them enjoy sport. But here it comes, right? And you see it. You're gonna yell at the umpire like, that dude's working for $5 a game. Like, leave him alone. <laughs> like, you get what you pay for at some point. But that contentious spirit is more than just arguing over your children's sports. It's become something that has gripped the body of Christ and pushed us somewhere that's really unhealthy. We have foolishly believed that we can fall in line with what is gripping our world, the spirit of contention. What's worth fighting over? What is not worth fighting over? Is it, is it, is it worth the argument? How do we contend for the right things and unsubscribe from the wrong ones? I found that until we unsubscribe from all the things that we're dealing with ourselves, it's extremely difficult to convince anyone else to unsubscribe from their issues. I'll say it this way, there's nothing dumber than a hypocrite in an argument. <laughs> nothing dumber, because you walk right into the enemy's trap. Jesus said it this way, he says, you, you're, you're a fool because you refuse to acknowledge the beam in your own eye. So we're walking into arguments without unsubscribing from the things going on in our own hearts first. Now, as we're dealing with this in 2 Timothy, I wanna kinda of catch you up if you don't know the story. Um, if anyone had the right to be contentious, if anyone had the right to lash back, if anyone had the right to type an all caps letter, it was the Apostle Paul. So we find ourselves looking, this is about AD 67, three years before Rome had burned. And Emperor Nero ended up blaming Christians for the state of their country for the fall of the Roman Empire, and they become an easy scapegoat. So Nero begins to have Christians put to death by the hundreds. He's using their bodies to light the streets at night. He's feeding them to lions. They're being beheaded. They're being tortured and persecuted. This is not just about wearing a mask in Walmart. This is persecution for real, not what you think persecution is. It's a big deal. And in 2 Timothy, Paul writes his last letter to this young pastor, and he talks about the people that had done him harm. In chapter four, you're welcome to read it. He says, Alexander the metal worker did me much harm. He hurt me. He said, Demas deserted me. He talks about person after person that has left him. He says, as a matter of fact, all I've got here is Luke, my doctor. But everybody else turned away and they did me much harm. And in the process of talking about all the people that had hurt his feelings, that had abandoned him, that had left him in the state of their world, he could have been contentious but he instead uses his pen to encourage Timothy on how to deal with contentions among the body of Christ. You see, we're not gonna change the world until we can start by changing this. He says, let me deal with your heart, and this is what a servant of the Lord is supposed to be about. These are the things worth fighting for. It's amazing if we look at a biblical uh, overlay of what is worth fighting for, most of our arguments just don't measure up. Most of our arguments about what to eat after church, 
Is that really something to argue about? No. But do we do it? Absolutely. You ever notice that? What do you want to eat? I don't know. Just think of something. It doesn't matter. Anything I say is going to be an argument. Why don't you just pick? I don't feel like picking today. Then let's just go home and not eat. And we'll fight and argue over things that just don't matter. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy the things that are worth fighting for are people's souls. The things that are worth fighting for are the future of people. People aren't worth fighting against. They're worth fighting for. And this changes everything because he gives us the process of how to determine what's a righteous argument and what's not. And it starts with us checking ourselves, unsubscribing from the spirit of the age and becoming who God has called us to be. I want to give you several things throughout this scripture that we can pick up in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that the Apostle Paul very clearly outlines to Timothy and says what we're supposed to be about and how this looks in a very contentious time. So pick it up with me if you would. In verse 22, he says this to the young pastor. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and somebody say the next word with me. Peace. 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 Peace is something that we're going to have to chase. We've got to pursue it. He says this, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. What strong language from the Apostle Paul. He says, you are to have nothing to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they only produce quarrels. You know that the end result of this is nothing good. Then he goes on to say this, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. Notice he doesn't say kind to believers. He doesn't just say kind to people that you like, to people that you agree with theologically. He says everybody. You mean the people that are persecuting us? You mean the people that speak all kinds of evil against us? You mean the people that are trying to hunt us down? He said, you have to be kind. We are not quarrelsome people. Ouch, that does not look like the American version of the church that I see today. I would say we are very quarrelsome people. We're gonna stand up for our rights and you better get out of my way. But that's not what the Bible calls us to be. That's not biblical Christianity. That's American Christianity. Now, I love my rights. I love what this country is founded on. I love this country. But there's a big difference between America and biblical Christianity. They are different. They conflict a lot. You have to be able to separate one from the other. One of them is truth. One of them is a good idea. That's only as good as the people that are making the laws. Do you see this? So he says this, we must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. He says this, able to teach, not resentful. He says opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading them to a knowledge of the truth that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So he says, the hope is not that you would be proven right. The hope is that they would be in right standing with God. The hope is that there would be repentance. The hope is that there would be a revelation of the knowledge and the truth and the mercy and the kindness of God. The hope is that God would change their hearts and their life and their future, not just the hope that you would win an argument. What an amazing concept that changes everything about the way that we fight. 
If we would just take these basic principles that he's talking about and apply them to just our marriage, how different would things be? How do we unsubscribe from the spirit of contention? How do we not go down the same road when we find somebody tap dancing on the end of our last nerve? Some of you are like, how did he know what we talked about on the way to church this morning? (laughs) The spirit of contention is like the, that's the vision statement of our marriage. (laughs) It keeps things spicy, pastor. Like, does it? (laughs) Does it? It's tiring. It's draining when everything has to become a fight. When everything is an argument, I found this to be true that fight starts when opinions take priority over people. People are what Christ died for. And when we see Jesus saying things like, in your anger, you don't have to sin. And we see it bearing fruit in his own life when Jesus had multiple opportunities to be extremely angry for people that not only violated his rights, but killed him. Jesus only got angry about a very, very small amount of things. And it was when people that knew better weren't helping the people that didn't know better. It was when people refused to allow children to come to him. When people thought of themselves as being self-righteous and couldn't see the beam in their own eyes. These are the things that angered Jesus. But in his anger, he gave his life for them. Wow. That changes everything. It's a different approach. I believe that the word of God is calling us to unsubscribe from the spirit of the age that is contention and to be restored to something that's better, that actually brings Jesus into the heart of a world that desperately needs it. Are you with me? Here's some decisions that we can make, some choices that we can make to get past our feelings of I want to fight with this person. I'm about to go ghetto. I'm about to cut them. I'm about to give them a piece of my mind and point us back to something that's true. Now, some of you, you're going to need this tomorrow. (laughs) You're like, I know that there's a fight coming. (laughs) If you know it's coming, maybe we could take a different road this time. Perhaps this time you don't have to pull off your hoops. You ain't got to pull off your fake nails. Perhaps you don't have to tie back your hair. (laughs) Perhaps this is not that kind of fight. Perhaps this time the Lord will fight your battles if you allow him the opportunity to intervene. What could your marriage look like? Instead of fighting with each other, we start fighting for each other. What could be different? What could change if we weren't busy trying to win an argument, but trying to win souls? What could change if we weren't busy being keyboard warriors and we started being prayer warriors? What could change if we refused to allow the spirit of the age to be our attitude and our spirit? I want to challenge you today. There's a better way. There's a biblical way. We don't have to give in to the same thing that everybody else has given into. Are you still with me? Here's some biblical choices. I wanna give you four. If you're a note taker, you might wanna write this down. I think this is gonna be good for you. It's gonna help you. Different approaches that according to the the apostle Paul, according to Jesus, according to Proverbs, as they're all lining up in this holy trifecta, New Testament, Old Testament, Jesus all put together to help us find a better way to argue, a better way to fight. Help us to find what's worth fighting about and what is simply not. Here's the first choice I wanna show you today. It says this, uh, before I choose a side, I choose a mirror. Before I choose a side, I choose a mirror. And this is uh, based upon a ton of scripture that help us to not become hypocrites, 
that help us not to walk right into the trap of the enemy, but help us to find the heart of God. Okay, Lord, search my heart. Help me. Before I give this person a piece of my mind, Lord, let me give you some prayer. Speak to me. Help me. Before I choose a side, I choose a mirror. I, I wrote it down this way. I can check my heart before I put you in check. I thought that was funnier in my mind. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> check your heart before you put somebody else in check. Here you go. Notice Paul says, you need to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Peace. Peace is gonna take a chasing down because I don't wanna pursue peace. I wanna pursue a win. I want this person to know and feel my wrath. I have a five-point PowerPoint sermon ready to go if they say these things on Monday morning. <laughs> do you wanna be right? Or do you wanna see the Lord help you? So I need to take a good look at my own heart before I point out somebody else's faults. Man, this has helped me a lot. Here's, here's Proverbs 15, it says, the heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. It doesn't leave a whole lot of wiggle room in there for people like me. Like, well, I thought about it, but I didn't think about what was the right thing to do. I thought about how I was gonna win. <laughs> I thought about my strategy. I thought about ways to make them understand how amazing I am and how foolish they are and how they should never, ever have even stepped up to the plate. That's how I think. Maybe not anybody else. I'm sure not you. No, 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 not you. It's just me. It's just my personal issue. But he says, the heart of the godly thinks carefully before he speaks. So am I, am I pursuing righteousness and faith and love and peace like God's word says or am I just looking for a win? Maybe I'm just angry. Proverbs 29 says, an angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. This leads us into a place of sin. It's not just an attitude. This is a destroying of somebody's life. And here's the crazy thing, is that we, as believers, have taken the amazing word of God and use this to become a weapon to show people how foolish they are. When this was never intended to be a sword used against people. It was not meant to be used against them. It was meant to be used against you. This is for me. This helps me to become a better person. Not helps me to become a better arguer. This makes sense? And this is what's wrong with many of our hearts. We'll take the scripture, the absolute truth of the word of God, and use it to destroy somebody else. Because we can that's not what it's for. I heard somebody say this, and I, I felt like it was something good to pass on. It says, if you're right, you don't need to get angry. And if you're wrong, you don't have the right to get angry. I like that. I thought that was pretty smart. Here's a second choice that we can make, a biblical choice to unsubscribe from the spirit of contention, and that's this. I can choose a second opinion. Not only have I talked to God, have I taken some time to hear from him, but I can ask people that I know are not just gonna agree with me, but it says, it says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on God out of a pure heart. So who do you know that is also pursuing righteousness and faith and love and peace that call on the name of God with a pure heart? Because those people can be the filter when you can't hear the Holy Spirit over your rage. 
And we don't do this in a spirit of gossip because I'm not here to talk about the other person. I'm here to talk about me. Will you help me? I've got something going on inside my heart. I've got some issues that I'm, that I'm about to explode on somebody and this is, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm sensing. And that person can say, hey, that's really dumb. You got an issue with this. This seems to happen about this time every year or this seems to be a recurring theme or pattern in your life. This is what I love about groups at our church is because we can have people that you can build a relationship of transparency and honesty enough with that they can tell you you're being really dumb. This is what you always do. You always find a friend, that friend does something wrong, and then you explode on them. Like, could it be that the problem is not the fact that you pick the same friend over and over? The problem is they keep picking you, and you won't deal with your stuff. I can choose a second opinion and surround myself with people that love me enough to tell me the truth. Who do you have in your life that loves you enough to tell you you're being really dumb? You're gonna hurt that person. This is not right. And will you listen to them? I can choose a second opinion he says, along with others who have a pure heart. Proverbs 18 says this, and I love this scripture. It's become one of my favorite ones. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. This could not describe the spirit of the age anymore. The Bible calls it foolish. You're only interested in expressing your opinion. You're not interested in actually understanding. And you've isolated yourself and surrounded yourself in this echo chamber of people that will tell you exactly what you wanna hear so that you can say, look how right I am. And everyone agrees with me. How many is everyone? About three of my Facebook friends. Like Johnny1845 is not your real friend. <laughs> but you're telling yourself what you wanna hear so you can prove how right you are. But in the process, have you really helped anybody besides yourself? Sometimes it's not even your fight to fight. I've had to ask myself that question as well. Is this even my fight? Here's a great scripture in Proverbs 26. It says, interfering in someone else's argument is as foolish as yanking a dog's ears. I found that sometimes... That person is really fighting God, not you. And over and over throughout God's word, Old Testament and New Testament, there's many scriptures that allude to the same principle. That the moment that we pick up our weapons against somebody else, God lays his down. And we leave no room for the Holy Spirit to bring about repentance or restoration or an actual change in a human heart. And our desperation to be right and to be validated, to win an argument, we've lost a soul. And people are worth fighting over, not just fighting with. I wanna help someone. How do I do that? This is by making choice number three, by choosing to fight with these two weapons, kindness and gentleness. You ever fought that way before? Because this is what the apostle Paul says. We're not to be quarrelsome. How do we treat our opponents, he said, with kindness and gentleness? I don't know about you, but that does not sound like any fight I've ever been in in my entire life. Now, I have, I have, I have had arguments with people that were fake kind or fake, you know, oh, is that the way that you feel? That's so sad for you. Like, I, I will cut you. I haven't been saved that long. I am from the west side of the kingdom, and I will cut a fool. Don't give me the fake smile. That doesn't... <laughs> I'm talking about real kindness 
Real gentleness. The Bible says that these are fruits of the Spirit, meaning that these are what happens when the Holy Spirit has regenerated your heart. You don't argue the same way. You don't fight the same way. Your responses aren't with the same tone, the same attitude, the same rhetoric. How do we respond? With kindness and gentleness as proof that there's something different in us. What would it look like if the body of Christ all around the world to fight against the spirit of contention that has gripped our world began to respond with kindness and gentleness? I believe that that is revolutionary and changes everything. Now, are there some people that you can't be kind and gentle to? Probably. I might be one of them. But have you ever even tried it? It takes the air out of every fight. Some of you are like, who fights with kindness and gentleness? I've married that person. I married that person. She is the kindest and gentlest person. You know why? Because she has the most amazing husband. (laughs) You cannot fight with my wife. She won't do it. Because everything is response with kindness and gentleness. That's who she is. It's proof that the Holy Spirit is living in her life and proof that I need some work because there are times that I want to argue just because I like it. I want to fight because it makes me feel good. I enjoy, in my flesh, I enjoy giving, a people, giving people a piece of my mind and proving how much smarter I am than they are. It's my pleasure, and it's completely 100% wrong. It's wrong. And so when, this, when what has happened to our world over the past 18 months becomes a contentious fight, I like it. Like, this is my time to shine. And God's like, wait a minute, what about that scripture that says the battle is the Lord's? Like, this is not that, I, I need this one. You can have, you, you have the COVID epidemic, Lord, you take care of that one. I will fight Johnny 1845 at AOL. It's my pleasure. It's my spiritual gift. I have that gift of contention. Like, that's not a spiritual gift. That's wrong. He says, kindness and gentleness, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. Opponents must be gently instructed. You know, I found, this is a, a practical tool that I found that helps me to stay in a place of gentleness, help me to instruct with kindness, and that's instead of making statements, I ask questions. Like, are, are you okay? Or... Did I, did I say something wrong? Or how can I help you? It's very difficult to argue with a person that just asks you questions and lets you speak your mind and doesn't respond to those with anything else but kindness and gentleness. You give the enemy no place left to go. Kindness and gentleness. Proverbs 15:1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Now there's not a lot of people that would tattoo that on their back as their life verse, but it's a good one. A gentle answer turns away wrath. And I found that the more gentle and kind that you can be to a person, the more God begins to deal with their heart and keeps you clean in the process. Gentleness and kindness. One scripture says it must be evident to all. This is our filter that proves that we are different than what the world looks like. I can ask questions without an edge. Now, some of you are like, I love to ask questions like, do you think you're right? Do you think that's gonna change my mind? That's not that kind of question. Ask questions with gentleness, with kindness, as a fruit of the Spirit, proof that I have a new governor in my heart, proof that I can be kind, really, 
Not joking, I can be. Do I like it? No. <laughs> Is it right? Yes. Yes, it's right. What happened to kindness in our world? What happened to gentleness in our world? Here's the fourth, and I'll close with this. The fourth choice that we can make when we're living in contentious times, we're finding arguments in our families, arguments with our children, arguments with our boss and with our coworkers, with the people that are around us. Here's the fourth choice that we can make, and Paul is very clear. He says, choose to approach with hope. Hope. When was the last time that you approached an argument with the hope that there'd be more than just a win for you, but a hope that God would intervene? I want you to notice what he says, that the hope with quarrelsome people, with the arguments that you're gonna have to have, the hope is that there would be repentance and revelation. Now, that doesn't mean repentance to you. That means they get right before the Lord. How would they see that? With your gentleness and your kindness. And I'm not here to fight with you. I'm here to fight for you. And like Jerry Maguire said, the famous theologian, help me help you, right? <laughs> help me help you. Hope. When was the last time you fought with hope? When was the last time you entered an argument with your spouse in the hope that God would help you be joined together, that God would help you be reconciled to one another? I think that changes a lot of the way that we approach things if we lead with hope. The hope is for repentance and revelation. So are you hoping to help that person or are you hoping that they would just feel what you feel? that you would return evil for evil, that they would understand your point of view only. It's not a lot of scriptures that help you with that. It's the wrong way to argue. That's the spirit of the age. How do I find that hope when I'm looking for it? How do I find hope in a relationship that's strained? How do I find hope in a place where I'm sensing so much frustration that's boiling over to the place that I can't control my mouth and I can't control my temper and I find myself constantly wanting to fight, wanting to argue because something's not right? How do I find that hope? I love what it says in Psalm 62, verse five. It says, my soul, find rest in God. My hope surely comes from him. My hope is found in the Lord alone. So your hope is not gonna be found in how well you can argue, to how well you can illustrate your point. Your hope is not gonna be found in how much they took a back step as soon as you said your five points, as soon as, you, as soon as you rolled tape and showed your video in chronological order of all the things that they did wrong and how many times they screwed you over. That's not where you find your hope. That's not a win. That's a loss. Even when you win, you lose when you fight that way. Hope there would be repentance, that the Lord would intervene, that there'd be a change of mind and hope for a revelation that God would let a light bulb come off inside of their mind, that the light of God's word would shine in and they'd realize, wait a minute, you're not my enemy. But we have a common enemy that's trying to drive us apart. See, the enemy's plan has always been to divide the body of Christ and we see it. Every single Sunday. The body of Christ has never been more divided than it is today. It's divided along lines of minuscule theological differences. It's divided along the lines of race. How in the world do we still live in a time where people will gather together to worship with the same skin color? How is that right? I want you to see the attack of the evil one to divide God's people 
And now more than ever, he's using the spirit of contention to push us into a place where we feed right into his plan. It's affected our homes and our children. It's affecting your business. It's affecting your friendships and relationships. It's affecting your social media. The spirit of contention is real. And we are called as believers, as sons and daughters, to be more than just reflections of the world. We're called to change it. The word of God tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That our weapons that we use are mighty, not for the tearing down of people, but for the tearing down of strongholds. Do you see the difference? God has given us the sword of his spirit, the truth of his word, not to be a weapon to change people's minds, but to change our hearts so that we can show them something better when they're struggling, when they have no hope. The spirit of division cannot exist alongside the spirit of God. So my soul finds rest and hope in him. Let me tell you this. If you're busy arguing with someone and you haven't prayed for them, you're battling the spirit of contention. Because if it's worth fighting for, it's surely worth praying for. When was the last time that you prayed for them? When was the last time that you prayed for them with the right heart? Instead of, Lord, just like David, Lord, break off the teeth of the wicked, burn them. That's a scripture. I love that God shows us the heart of David very, very clearly. He's like, Lord, break off their teeth. I want to see them like with dentures and be like, 25 years old, all your teeth got broke off. I love it. Thank you, Jesus, for letting me. When was the last time you really prayed for them? And I think for some of us, if I've done my job correctly today, uh, you've, you've noticed this has become a big deal in your home. That contentious spirit that we see in our world today is trying to divide your marriage, trying to divide you from your children, trying to divide you from your brothers and sisters in Christ, trying to take away your hope, trying to get you to respond with anything but kindness and gentleness, trying to get you to fight with people instead of for them. If I've done my job correctly today, you're seeing this. I wanna invite you to fight a different way today. I wanna invite you to take on the truth of God's word, to make some biblical choices over what you feel. Let me just tell you this, you might be 100% right and your approach be 100% wrong. What could God do if you chose to fight your battles his way? What could God do if you laid down your weapons and allowed him to fight it his way where there's restoration, where there's repentance, where there's real life change, real heart change, real hope brought into a contentious situation? What could God do if you would get out of his way? This is something that was incredibly hard for me to do. And for those of you that know my story, I've had to watch my marriage be burned down. 13 years married to my first wife and watch fight after fight after fight after argument after argument. You're like, well, you must have been not safe. No, I was in ministry. I know what it's like to live in a contentious relationship and not know how to fight, to keep these things secret because I'm so afraid that if anybody knew, they would never ever listen to me speak again to be fighting and arguing and fussing and debating, trying to be right and losing the relationship. I know what it's like because I've been there. I'm telling you, you don't wanna be me. You don't wanna have to walk through that. You don't wanna have to be a single parent if you don't have to be. If you can just learn the truth of God's word and say, God, surely there's gotta be a, a better way than this. Surely this is not how you've called me to live. Surely there's a better way than me winning every argument and losing the relationship. How does that happen? 
is a very real attack upon your marriage. It's time that you take it seriously. It's everywhere. It has infiltrated every part of our world. It's dividing brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, children and parents and grandparents. That division is something that we can unsubscribe from as we choose the truth of God's word over what we feel. Let me tell you this. We are prayer warriors long before we're keyboard warriors. If Jesus could be angry without sin, so can we. I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes as we finish up today. And I just sense from the Lord that there's some restoration in the room. And it's going to take you laying down some pride and being willing to take a step of faith in order to find some freedom in this area. If you found yourself bickering, fighting, arguing, if you found yourself in a place where you're just making your opinion stated, you're, you're arguing about things that just don't even matter, and you've been fighting with that person that's literally sitting next to you, my friend, nobody's looking at you, every head's bowed and every eye's closed, would you do me a favor and take a step of faith and reach over and grab that person's hand right where you are. Take a step of faith and let restoration, let the truth of God's word come to fruition with you right now. Good, all over this place. Good, good. I want to invite you to start fighting for each other instead of just against each other. If you're watching online and you find this to be something that's hitting home with you, do me a favor. Just open up your hands right now from where you are. Say, Holy Spirit, would you help me? Help me. I'm tired of fighting my battles my way. Oh, I'm just losing. And I believe that your word shows me a better way. I trust your word and I'm believing that it can help me where my own tactics have failed. I don't want to just subscribe to the spirit of contention that everybody else is subscribing to. I want your way. I need your help. And right now, if you have another person that you're holding their hand, I want you to start praying for them. Lord, would you help this person? Would you speak to them in a way that they can understand? Would you draw our hearts together? Keep us from contention. Help our home be a place of peace. Help our home be a place where we can fight together against the spirit of the age instead of succumbing to it and becoming victims to it. Help us, Lord. Now, Father, I pray for every single person within the sound of my voice, those that are sitting here in person, those that are watching online. I pray that you would help us to become more than what the world says that we can be. I pray that you would help us to rise above the spirit of the age and embrace the truth of your word, bringing peace, gentleness, kindness to every troubled storm. Help us, Lord, to be your hands and feet extended. Help us in our anger to not sin and to watch the world change as we respond differently than everybody else. In Jesus' name. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna make one appeal before we finish up today. For anyone that has been away from God and needs to come home, you may have been raised in church, you may have gone to church and sang all the songs, done all the things, but you know, if you were to be honest with yourself today, that you've been away from God. And I believe that the Holy Spirit led you here today to see this, to hear this word, and to respond to him. You need to come home. You may say, I don't know how to do that. I'm gonna help you like somebody helped me one time. 
Also, if you're in a place where you've, you've never asked God to be your Lord and your Savior, you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins, my friend, I want to help you. I want to help you to make sure that that decision gets made today. And it starts by saying a simple prayer. You can pray it out louder in your heart, right where you are. The prayer goes like this. Just pray with me. Say this. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you came, you lived and died, rose from the grave so that I could have life, so that I could have forgiveness for all of my sins. I believe that you can save me. You can heal me. I believe that you can forgive me. So would you do that? Would you forgive me of all of my sin? I'm coming home to you. I don't want to live my life my way anymore. I give it to you. In Jesus' name. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that was you, my friend, if you say, I prayed that prayer with you, Pastor, that was me. I did it. I prayed that prayer. Just lift up your hand all across this place if you would. Nice and high and proud. Good, I see you. Good. Anybody else today? I prayed with you, Pastor. That was me. Good. Good, good. So proud of you and the decision that you just made. If you're watching online, I would love to connect with you. As a matter of fact, if you just prayed that prayer with me today, would you text me? Text the words, I prayed to 844-HRC-TEXT. I prayed 844 HRC text. If you'll text me, I have a four-part video series that will help explain what just happened in your heart and what to do next. We have created this just for you to help you. It'll be our free gift to you to help you keep going in your relationship with God. This is not the end of it. It's the beginning, and it's beautiful. Very proud of you. Good for you. For everyone else, Hi Rich family, go ahead and look up at me if you would. Would you stand to your feet today as we finish up our service? I'm gonna invite our elders and their wives to step forward and these guys will remain here as the service ends to be sure that they can pray for you about anything that you might need prayer over. My friends, if you're watching online and you need prayer, would you just type your prayer request? You can even write the words unspoken, but we would love to pray for you. Every single person needs prayer. We are happy to pray for you. We believe that God still answers prayers, amen? Come on, do we still believe that God answers prayers? How many of you in this place have had some prayer answered at some time or another? Yes, yes you have. We believe that God still answers prayers. We would love to pray for you. If you liked what you heard today, if you like this video that you're, that you're watching, do me a favor. If you're on Facebook, would you share this video with your, with your friends and your social media influence? It always is a, such a big honor if you would make that commitment to do it for us. That's a big deal. If you're watching the service live and in person today and you're on Facebook, share this video. We think it would help people. This is the status of our world. Nobody knows how to respond to that. God's word is very clear that we have a response. It's just not the one that we like, right? It's good for you. Let me pray for you and bless you as we go. Father, I thank you for my friends that are watching. I thank you for my friends that are here. I pray that you would bless them with an incredible week following after you, applying the truth of your word to every contentious situation. Would you bless them as they go? In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I hope you have an amazing week. Have an awesome one.